This is Sober in the City. Real life, real addiction, real recovery. For Sober in the City all week, subscribe to our podcast by visiting SoberInTheCity.com or search Sober in the City in the iTunes store. Stick this in a shot glass and shoot it. It's Dangerous Debbie Strand. Sober in the City is brought to you in part by Believe Treatment Center. At Believe Treatment Center, we understand. Call now, 1-855-874-2354. Or visit BelieveTreatmentCenter.com to find out how we can help and how your insurance can pay for it. We're back with more Sober in the City, and I'm Debbie Strand. If you think someone you care about might have a problem with drugs, pot, alcohol, food issues, sex, gambling, porn, smoking, hair pulling, emery board licking. Yeah, I saw that on a show a couple of weeks ago. Addicted to licking emery boards and scraping the sandpaper off. Oh, jeez. Anyway, ugh, I don't know. I guess maybe she would say that when I'm smoking crack. She's, ugh. I guess I'd rather lick emery boards. Give us a call, 800-SOBER-05, 800-SOBER-05. I'd love to hear from you and what you're going through and how we can get you some help. Seriously, if you have an addiction like that, we can get you help for that too. We definitely have a treatment center for you. And tell us what are the reasons that you're staying sober? How are you staying sober? Did you stay sober this weekend? Did you not stay sober this weekend? Did you go back out because you're mad at somebody else? I'll show you. I'll hurt me. Did that happen to you this weekend? If it did, give me a call, 800-SOBER-05, and tell me what the resentment is. Let's call that person out on the air. Anyway, call us, 800-SOBER-05, and visit us at SoberInTheCity.com and listen live on the Sober in the City app for Apple Android devices. Share the app with your friends. Share the show with your friends. The sponsee that's driving you nuts, you're tired of talking to them. We've already done it for you. Just give them the show. We are talking about what do you do when you get out of rehab? How do you get a sponsor and rebuilding our lives? Call us 800-SOBER-05. Share on that topic. You know, I think a good idea is to have a recovery plan when you come out of rehab. And hopefully you have family or somebody that you're going home to that can make this commitment with you and give you consequences. Otherwise, you're on your own and you have to do this on your own. Go into maybe meetings get a sponsor, get someone that you're accountable to or somebody that you talk to every day. But I think writing down a recovery plan with your family, say you're a teenager, like this show was inspired by a 19-year-old girl who's getting out of treatment. She had 23 days when she suggested this topic for us. And I think it would be a great idea if she, with her family, when she goes home to them, has a recovery plan in place, in writing, that they sit down and do together. And you have to adhere to it and you have to not become complacent with that person coming back into your home because as addicts and alcoholics, we have a tendency to be a little manipulative and we know how to push your buttons and we know how to piss you off just enough so that you'll let us get our way. And that's what we do. It's all part of the disease. So I think writing down things like um, they should be making their bed every day. They should be keeping the house neat. They should be participating in helping out with household chores. They should be getting a job, maintaining a job, and doing what they're supposed to do for their recovery program and put it in writing. And if they're not doing it, the next list next to it, maybe the next column is if you don't do this, this is the consequence. 
If you relapse, okay, it's a disease. Let's give them a pass maybe once. uh, Maybe you can do it twice, but you have to go right back to meetings. You have to get with your sponsor. You can't steal anything from the house. But if you do it the third time, you're out of here. Or maybe you've been through it with this kid over and over again. And the first time you relapse, we're done. You're out. You have to get new living arrangements. Or you take away their cell phone or car privileges. Or you have to be home at nine o'clock right after the meeting instead of staying out and going out for coffee, which I don't know. Maybe that's not a good thing either because it's kind of good to have the meeting after the meeting. But maybe they need to check in more. But you come up with some consequences and stick to them. You have to stick to them. Otherwise, we will run all over you. That's what we do as addicts and alcoholics. We want to get our way and we usually find a way to do it. Anyway, please share on this topic. We've got Robert on the line from Phoenix, Arizona. Robert, can you share on the topic? What do you do when you get out of rehab? How do you get a sponsor? And how do you start to rebuild your life? Hi, Debbie. This is Robin Phoenix. Uh, you know, one of the things that you, you said, a recovery plan is so important to uh, starting that new life. And I like to even break it down into like an individual day. You know, I think that we should have a plan for our first day when we leave rehab. And, you know, if the rehab was 12-step oriented and they had like H&I meetings going in there or they took the people out to meetings, hopefully they can maybe identify a sponsor while they're still in rehab. And H&I and possibly, meetings, hang on a second, H&I meetings are hospitals and institutions committees that are formed from some of the 12-step programs and they bring meetings into hospitals and institutions. So you do have an opportunity to meet people from the outside who are in the meetings. And like you said, hopefully they are taking just some outside meetings. Go ahead, Rob. Yeah, and hopefully they'll have a sponsor. And a perfect scenario would be that the sponsor could possibly pick them up or maybe one of the sponsors, other sponsees could pick them up uh, from residential treatment and maybe take them to their first meeting. You know, I think it's good to have in their first day out plan, attending a meeting, meeting with their sponsor if they have a sponsor, signing up for aftercare if the treatment center they are coming out of has an aftercare program, and uh, possibly looking at going into a halfway house. That should be explored while they're still in treatment. But uh, going into a halfway house, I think, is a good uh, idea for many people because it provides some structure that might be lacking in the original home environment. And that's why treatment, one of the reasons treatment is so effective is because it's usually very structured. So to go out from a very structured uh, living environment back into the home where uh, addiction uh, maybe was uh, behaviors were being experienced might not be the best option. I agree. I agree that structure is so important. And as alcoholics and addicts, I know for myself, I had absolutely no structure and couldn't pull it together. And I was just talking about it in the last segment. When a counselor told me I had to do 90 meetings in 90 days, hell, I couldn't even wash the dishes. How the hell was I going to get myself to 90 meetings in 90 days? It seems so overwhelming. So what about somebody picking out a sponsor? What do you think that they should do there? How did that work for you? Well, for me, uh, you know, it, it was a trial and error. Uh, experience. It wasn't until my third sponsor, uh, and that was a very quick succession, that I got a sponsor I was able to go all the way through the steps with. And uh, But it's not the same experience for every person. You know, in the beginning, I picked a sponsor because uh, I wanted to manipulate, and I picked somebody that probably was not a good match. Second sponsor choice was another manipulating uh, choice. And by the third sponsor, I was willing to, like, uh, 
get somebody that uh, will hold me accountable and not co-sign my own uh, manipulations and attempts to control. So what do you think are some of the steps that people should take to start to rebuild their lives or like in the case of this 19-year-old gal to start to build their life? What are some of the first things that they should do fresh out of treatment? Well, like I said, get get with their sponsor or get a sponsor. Sign up for aftercare. Aftercare is a wonderful thing if the treatment center provides it because they can be with people they were in treatment with. They can like help encourage each other. They can they can like uh, be there for the successes or the failures or or to help and, and learn how to like uh, be empathetic and stuff. Uh, also, they're going to the halfway house, you know, and not all halfway houses are are created equal. I mean, some halfway houses are, are three hots and a cot and a flop, you know, and, and some are very recovery-oriented. And I think it's good to hopefully the rehab that they're coming out of possibly uh, sends people out to check out halfway houses. Uh, the rehab I work for, that's what we do, and we keep a... a, a an ongoing survey of the clients that are in aftercare to know how those halfway houses continue to go. And when they like maybe wane or wax in uh, their effectiveness, uh, we take them off the list. Right. I think that's a great idea that they need to be checked up on and they need to be looked in on. I mean, I'm in South Florida. I'm in Palm Beach County. This is the epicenter of recovery in the entire world. And they went in Delray Beach, Florida, which is uh, the center of it all. And they shut down a lot of the halfway houses that were very unscrupulous. And there were people going out, getting people high because they had insurance to put them through. And it's this horrible mill of put them into detox and then find out what treatment center is going to give you the most money for putting them in there. And it's patient brokering. And it's a really, really ugly business. So you have to be really careful. And this is just like going to the doctor. You have to take personal responsibility. My doctor is not in charge of my health care. My doctor simply monitors it. I'm in charge of it. I make the decisions. You know, he'll give me the information that he has. I'll go off and seek. Sought through prayer and meditation in our step 11, sought that word. I just seek all the time answers and I look and I get other opinions and then I come to my own. And then when something goes wrong, I take that responsibility. And when something goes right, I get to take that responsibility too. Is there anything else that you'd like to share, Rob? Well, I, I agree with that. Personal responsibility is, is paramount. You know, uh, we're not responsible for our disease, but we are responsible for our recovery. So we have to put our, our recovery uh, at the forefront of our life in early recovery. It has to be the most important thing because anything that uh, we have a tendency or I have a tendency to put before my recovery would be the first things I'm going to lose in a relapse. So in that vein, uh, like I was saying that uh, get fully involved in the program, get connected with other people, start reading literature. Uh, I try to help people like come up with an hour by hour plan. If they if they discharge at eight o'clock in the morning, I want to know like who's picking them up at eight o'clock. I think they need to know that where they're going to go at nine o'clock. Is it going to be to a halfway house? Is it going to be to a meeting? Who's going to pick them up? What's the next step? What's happening at ten o'clock? Where are we going for lunch at noon? afternoon, what's happening then? And go hour by hour by hour for the very first day. And I I found that to be very helpful with people. And then even come up with a whole first week plan, you know, of what's going to happen on Tuesday? What meeting am I going to go to? And, you know, people banter around that 90 90 meetings in 90 days, and I'm a big uh, proponent of that myself. But, you know, it's about 
breadth, not depth. If a person goes to 90 meetings, it's the same meeting 90 times, and they come back and they go, I hate those 12-step meetings. You know, that's not what the 90 and 90 is about. It's about going to maybe not 90 different meetings, but 20 different meetings to find out meetings where I feel like I fit in, where I feel comfortable, where I like the format and stuff. Robert, how long? Very important thing. How long are you sober, Robert? Go ahead. How long are you sober, Robert? I'm so. I'm sober over eighteen years. That's fantastic. I really like your message and that you're laying out that plan. And you know what? I think that it will also make somebody feel safe to know what's coming because we have such a fear of the unknown. Yes. Yes, I agree completely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, we're gonna go to Lynn Crystal River. Lynn, welcome to Sober in the City. Hey, Debbie, how you doing? I'm great. How are you? I'm great. Um, I had a trial and error with um, going in and out of rehabs. I was a rehab failure. I was in and out of 24 rehabs. Um, unfortunately, my insurance would never pay for any longer than 14 days. And that 90 meeting in 90 days, I, I had no support group at home. And at the time I was trying to get sober, I had a very high-stress job rescuing children all over the world. And I owned my own business, and I had no family support. I had no siblings, no no parents, anybody that understood addiction at all. And when I got out of rehab, I couldn't even remember how to drive a car. Like you were you were talking about, you know, not even knowing how to wash dishes. I didn't know how to do any of that. How could I go back to all that responsibility? So mine was definitely trial and error. And eventually, um, over the uh, you know a few years in and out of rehab. Um, things started, I started eliminating things out of my life. Um, I gave up my business. Um, I got laid off from my job and it was the best thing that ever happened because then I could go into, I went into rehab for the very last time and I took it seriously and I came out of there and I took one hour by one hour by one hour and I started slowly to rebuild my life and I kept whatever I could find to do to keep busy. Um, if you if AA, if you don't want to go to, you know, volunteer, make coffee and do things like that, there's other things you can do. Um, I volunteer at homeless shelters. I volunteer at battered women's shelters. I've, I volunteer at detox centers. They're always looking for volunteers. So just just keeping myself busy, um, but I had to start over slowly, just one day at a time, one hour at a time, sometimes one minute at a time. Uh, so I... I, you know, they gave me different different plans. Um, if I had to do it all over again, the first time I came out, I would have went into sober living. And I chose not to, and that was my fault. I didn't take accountability. I thought I could go right back out and be what I was before. And what I was before is what I was, not who I was. What do you think the difference between being in so what do you, What do you think sober living would have done for you, Lynn? I think it would have taught me um, to... To learn how to get up and make my bed every morning, uh, learn how to go out and get a job. Um, I, I was on the level of an 11-year-old. I started drinking every day when I was 11 years old. 11-year-old doesn't know how to get a job. Everything was everything in my whole life was, was fake. So I didn't know what reality was. I mean, I couldn't drive a car. I had to learn how to drive. Wow. So I didn't know how. I didn't know how to do anything. Um, I think sober living would have been good, and uh, I could have went to meetings. I would have had the support system around me, which I didn't have. Um, so I really struggled through it. Um, I've been sober two years, but it took me eight years to get that two years. But um, I would never give up because I knew there had to be a light at the end of the tunnel. 
And um, you just uh, God put you where you need to be. And I'm, right now, I'm where I need to be. I have a nonprofit um, that keeps me busy with the uh, battered women's shelter up the street here in Crystal River. And um, I um, I couldn't have done it without God. And like I, when I first got out, one hour at a time. And I think sober living would have been a great idea because I could have stayed and learned responsibility because I had no clue. So, Lynn, what about getting a sponsor? How did that process work for you? Okay. At the time, um, I got out of rehabs, and I was living in a Clearwater area. It's a very high professional area, probably similar to where you live. There's a lot of recovery there. Um, It's very hard to get a sponsor. I had four sponsors. Um, When you ask for one, nobody comes, everybody comes forward and says they'll be your temporary sponsor. Um, I had four sponsors and all of them up and disappeared. I would, I, I wrote my fourth step four times. I showed up at all the meetings and did everything they told me to do. So a sponsor never worked for me. And I, I mean, I hate to say that. And I have, you know, I love AA. I'm from Akron, Ohio. I have the best respect for Bill W. and Dr. Bob. My last rehab was St. Thomas Hospital where Dr. Bob practiced. And, um, but unfortunately, a sponsor never worked for me. So do you work a program of 12-step recovery? Because there's many different pathways to recovery. I work with my, I work with my battered women's shelter, and we do a program there. It's actually a spiritual three-step recovery program. Okay. All right. Well, everybody has a different pathway. And um, what about rebuilding your life? What did you start with? I mean, obviously, you did a lot of volunteering. I started with I started I did I started with absolutely nothing. Um, I was living in a condemned trailer in the middle of the Everglades. I had a computer that was it. I uh, got in a few groups on Facebook. Made it to a few Spanish AA meetings that I could get to because they were twenty miles away. <laughs> I'd lost everything, and um, then finally, just one day, one hour at a time, one hour at a time. I had one person that brought me food. I did have access to a phone and I just had to rebuild my mind altogether. I just started getting up, cleaning up the trailer, making my bed every day, started looking on the internet for a job, finally got a part-time job in a law firm, uh, one little thing at a time. But it came, it came back fast. It's just that I couldn't leave rehab and go back to all that responsibility. Yeah, I hear you. I had to keep things pretty simple for a while. I lived with my family for a while. And then I had a rental house with a uh, roommate in it. And then I got my own small little apartment and I had a paid for car in that little apartment for four years. And, you know, here recently I lost that apartment. The The landlord decided to not renew my lease. She met a guy in AA who had five months sober and a nice smile. Well, she moved me out and that apartment sat empty for three months. So sorry to laugh, but <laughs> it is what it is. Oh. I, I just pray for it. Not really. But, um, you know, I've had to take on a lot more expenses. My, my car went, went south on me. I had to get a new car and I got a, a much more expensive apartment. And, you know, things are, things are a little harder and everybody says, wow, you know, you're doing good. I'm like, no, I'm broke. I'm struggling, man. This is hard. I don't like this. I don't like this feeling. I liked it better when I was secure. But I guess I can't say to the universe that I'm broke by not spending the money that I have sometimes. I don't know. It's a fine line between where do you save and where do you tell the universe, I know you're going to provide more money for me by me spending more. So I don't know. Yeah, I'll, it always I'll keep you up to, to date. at the right time. Yeah, and, and um, And I would not, rec- you know, I would never tell anybody not to do the AA 90 days, 90 minutes, 90 meetings in 90 days. I would never, it, it did not work for me. 
But that doesn't mean it won't work for somebody else. Everybody has to have their own path, like you said. We've got Ryan in Palm Beach Gardens, Florida. Ryan, welcome to Sober in the City. Ryan, go ahead. Yeah, Debbie, I'm here. Um, yeah, it's a good topic. It's, uh, I've been through rehab and I've worked through rehab, and uh, it's one of those things where the aftercare plan is very important to, uh, like everyone said, to get the structure, to get involved, to really get connected, and, uh, and really surround yourself around that support start especially early on. Now, Ryan, you live in the area where I live, and I wanted to ask you about, do you go to some of the meeting houses where I go where there seems to be a lot of clicks? And, and I have. I actually, actually, and actually, I just moved out of there just recently. I just moved back to Portland, Oregon, but I lived there for about two years, and I, I see what you mean. There's a lot of meetings. You can sort of feel that. You can feel that sort of clickiness at times right there, and it's can feel a little uneasy for some people. You know what I mean? Now, did you come in as a newcomer and experience that? Early on, I did. I was a little unsure. I saw these groups together, and uh, it, it, was, it was a little, it was just a little uneasy for me, just in my natural sort of scared, scared spot where I was. You yeah, that, I mean? that feeling of I don't fit in, and these people are better yeah. than me, and I'm not good enough. And were they welcoming to you? They they were welcoming to me. That was the thing. There was uh, even though there were some clicks, there was there was a welcoming factor that I got when I got to the meeting, and um, I didn't really necessarily recognize it because I was I was so early on. And um, but but they were there. In actuality, they were there to really help me out. I can see. Right. See, because what my point is is that the clicks are just people that are the winners sticking together. They're sticking sure. together to save their own sobriety. And when other people come around, it's the other people that are alienating themselves most times, you know, because we're all going to those meetings and those people that are staying sober and have long-term sobriety are doing it because they're helping other people. They're good AAs. Hey, that guy helps a lot of people. That's a good AA. You know, I might not like somebody personally, but somebody says, hey, man, he helps a lot of guys. Oh, okay. He gets a pass with me. Definitely. So, you know, I just want everybody to realize that we do experience that when we come in, but we don't need to be turned away by it. It's our own thinking that is making it awful. You know what I mean? Right. It's, a, it's that own, our own crazy thinking that sort of gets us, gets us going. And it's, uh, it's like, like, it, like I said, you stick around, you really get involved, and you see that. And then you start to become one of those persons who's there to help everyone else out. And, it's, uh, and that, that's what seems to help, getting out there, staying involved, doing the service work, sponsoring, having sponsees, and just just getting involved to have that happier, better life. You know what I mean? So, Ryan, did you come here to get sober? Did you come to South Florida to get sober? I originally did come out there about, uh, I just celebrated six years. So, I originally came out there about, it was, it was about six years ago, I first, back in 2006. And um, and I tried it before. I tried rehab before. I tried AA and all that before. And, uh, and I never was really ready. And, uh, and this this last time I was out there, it, it was, uh, I was at that point where I had to really, just, it, I, was, I was done for almost, it felt like, and, uh, and I really gave it a shot this time, and I remember getting, getting ready to get out of treatment, and my counselor was like, well, why don't you try a halfway house, and uh, I was like, I don't know about that, and, uh, but the thing was, this, this time I did, and, uh, and it, it really helped me out, that's for sure. I feel bad now that I didn't have the halfway house experience, because I can't really share about it because I didn't do it. And I feel like maybe I would have had that sorority sister, but most people get high 
after being in the halfway houses anyway. Usually if you go through a halfway house, you know, there might be you and one other person that stays sober and that's it. That's true. I mean, that's right on. It's, it's, it's how it goes. There's so many, so many people coming in and out of it and it's, uh, you just don't know, like you're saying, but you got to, like you said, you got to surround yourself around around that good solid group, whether it's in the halfway house or when you start to get connected into the meetings, how it, uh, how it really starts to sort of transform, transform our lives. Yeah, and somebody else was talking about earlier on that, you know, those announcements, uh, any non-AA announcements, people will, and AA announcements uh, when you're sitting in meetings or NA or whatever meetings that you're sitting in, and people will talk about events that are coming up, picnics, fundraisers, different things, and go to those things, get involved, go to the dances, and people will get to know you, volunteer your time, do service work around the clubs if they're having a fundraiser or a picnic or mopping floors or making coffee or selling the candy bars or whatever it is, so people get to know you and you'll become a part of. You just naturally will become a part of. So what was it like for you to move back to Portland? Did you have meetings? And I mean, because it's almost like you got out of rehab again. You left your comfort zone where you had been going to meetings for a long time and you packed up and is is Oregon back home for you? Oregon is Oregon is my home. It's where I grew up and lived all my life. And uh, it's it's interesting being back. It's uh, I found myself. I really made an effort. I've made an effort so far to really get myself connected to the meetings here. I never experienced recovery here, and um, being back in my own grounds, around family and friends, and different scenarios that come up. Come up, obviously. It's. Uh, it's. I've learned over time it's important for me to stay connected and get back involved in whatever meetings I have around. And there's a lot of them, so it's. Uh, I've had to get get a home group. I've had to sort of start to meet people out here and really, really just, like you said, put, start start from scratch, put my name out there again. Just keep it as simple as that. Yeah, I know. I know recovery is alive and kicking in Oregon. I've definitely spoken to a lot of people from up in there and there's a lot of stuff going on. I know, I know you'll be in a good place there, Ryan. Sure. I appreciate that. Any other advice to a newcomer? Um, just, uh, just stick with it and, uh, just listen to it. Listen, just, just, and uh, we're all here for you. Absolutely, we're all here for you. Sober in the City will be right back after a few words from our sponsors. And maybe now you can see that it is a good idea to get a sponsor. We'll be right back. When I got the news today, I didn't know what to say. So I just hung up the phone. I took a walk to clear my head And this is where the walk-in led Can't believe you're really gone Don't feel like going home So I'm gonna sit right here On the edge of this pier And watch the sunset disappear And drink a beer
At Believe Treatment Center, we understand. We understand you are struggling. That's why our treatment nourishes mind, body, and spirit. We understand that recovery works differently for everyone. That's why we design individual treatment programs specifically for you. At Believe Treatment Center, we understand that it's not easy. That's why we offer a comprehensive scope of services, including nutrition, massage, chiropractic, and aftercare for you and even for your family. Believe Treatment Center is a 12-step friendly, state-of-the-art facility located in gorgeous Palm Beach County, Florida. We are experts in all types of addiction and recovery, and we are proud sponsors of Sober in the City. To find out more about our program and how your insurance may cover your treatment, call us today at 1-855-874-2354. That's 855-874-2354. 1-855-874-2354. Or visit BelieveTreatmentCenter.com. Believe Treatment Center. We understand. The thought of my sons growing up without me inspired me to quit smoking. I talked to my doctors and then I threw away all my cigarettes, ashtrays, and lighters. I started exercising instead of smoking. Staying away from alcohol when I was first quitting was key. I kept on trying, learned something each time. Do whatever it takes. No matter how many times it takes. We did it, so can you. For free help, call 1-800-QUIT-NOW. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and CDC. My son Aiden has asthma. Secondhand smoke has triggered his asthma so badly, he ended up in the emergency room. My tip to you is, don't be shy about telling people not to smoke around your kids. Half of U.S. kids are exposed to secondhand smoke. If you or someone you know wants help, call 1-800-QUIT-NOW. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and CDC.